Welcome to another episode of Fallout Off the Record. I am your host, Rick McVick, and with us tonight, as always, is Shaleen. Hello, hello. Uh, we want to thank you all for joining us tonight on the very last companion episode of Fallout Off the Record. We are on part eight, and we are going to cover the DLC companions, and they are Hancock. Well, he's not DLC, but he's just another one of the companions um, that we haven't covered. Hancock, Ada... Uh, Longfellow, um, and Gage. Right. Yeah, so those are the four that we're going to go over tonight, and that'll conclude all of the companions in the entire Fallout game world, I believe. Did we cover ISOs? Um, no, I don't think we ever have gone through the ISOs, because uh, neither one of us has ever finished one entirely. That's true. I didn't even know so. if they had companions. They sure do. I uh, I remember hiring a guy named Ian in Fallout 1. Hmm. And I remember reading about a, uh, a like a death claw that can be your companion nice. in Fallout 2. Nice. Well, uh what maybe I don't know. That that's funny. I didn't realize that. Then again, I thought I thought you would beat some of those ISOs. I have reached the end of the first one. I have never had a successful ending. Ah, gotcha. Well, oops. Won't be able to pick this. Oops. What's yeah, it? I just I was trying to refresh here oh. um, the Twitch window and. Uh, gotcha. Then I was hearing some strange echoes. I uh, can't seem to see anybody in the chat room, and I don't know if there's just nobody here or. Uh, oh, all right. Um, but let's go ahead and move on with our sponsors so we can get into tonight's episode, because there is actually a good bit of stuff that happened this past week. So tonight we are sponsored by TweakedAudio.com. If you are in the market for headphones or earbuds, head to TweakedAudio.com for all of your needs. And once you find the pair that you so like and fits your style and and yes. you find the right color, head to the checkout and enter our code off the record, which is all one word, to receive 30% off and free shipping. So, again, that's tweakedaudio.com, our code off the record, which is all one word, and free shipping. You uh, can also help us out by going to uh, audibletrial.com slash questgamingnetwork and signing up for their free 30-day trial. And Audible is your number one source for all things audiobooks. And when you sign up for their free 30-day trial, you'll get a free audiobook of your choosing. And tonight, Shaleen recommends... Ghost Talkers by Mary Robinette Kowal. And that is actually, um, let's see, how do I describe this? It's uh, World War I, where the uh, intelligence division uh, for the English is a bunch of mediums uh, who are communicating with the ghosts of, uh, of the dead soldiers. And uh, it's a romance uh, in which one of the people is dead. Oh, nice. That kind of sounds Sounds like... strange. Very good book. I cried a bunch. That sounds like uh, something that happened in Metal Gear Solid, I think, 3? I, I don't know. I've never played any Metal Gear. Yeah, one of the uh, bad guys is a psychic who could read uh, dead bodies. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you want that book, you can head to audibletrial.com slash questgamingnetwork and signing up for their free 30-day trial. 
Uh, you can also sponsor us. You can become a patron of our show by going to patreon.com uh, slash Network and signing up for one of our rewards there. And, uh, yeah, that helps us out. And also, non-financially, by uh, just sharing us on your social media. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, like, subscribe, and retweet our stuff. Send us emails. And, uh, yeah. So, also, um, there was another way. I think our Amazon link on our questgamingnetwork.com. I think there's an Amazon link there that you can use to purchase stuff through Amazon. And they slice off a little bit of it and send it our way. And that's at no extra cost to you. So, mm-hmm. without further ado, let's get into our news. Oh, I should go over. We have news. We have some gameplay. Some lore, which is the companions. Uh, also, do we have weapon of the week this week? We sure do. Awesome. And uh, and then I think a listener email or two. I can't remember how many. Yes, indeedy. So, awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get into the news. All right. Well, we have... I finally successfully got the chat room up. So, hello, chat room people. Thank you for joining us. Oh, were they oh, Were they all there? Um, yeah, they were there. Only I couldn't see them. Oh. So, all is well with the chat room. We're good. And before I really get started talking about the news, I would like to just apologize in case you guys hear any uh, sort of strange background noise. Hmm. I live in this really small town, right? And uh, the school has decided that the children should trick-or-treat today instead mm. of on Monday. So I'm getting trick-or-treaters. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's if you hear, like, noisy children, that's what's going on. I guess they didn't get our memo. Mm-hmm. We're recording. Indeed. I need to get one of those, like, neon on-air signs, like, little <laughs> light-up sign, like, on-air. <laughs> That would be great. You just have you would just have people knocking on your door asking what does that mean? <laughs> be like, dang it guys <laughs> Trying to make a podcast. <laughs> well let's go ahead and start with that news uh, that you had teased us with so long ago now. Um, before I derailed the show. <laughs> what do you got? Last week we talked about um, the Bethesda store great war sale that would be running all this week and that they would be introducing some new pieces of fallout merch. And, uh, now we know what those pieces are. So I thought we'd just share them with you in case you're interested in going to check that out. There was a swatters baseball Jersey, and that was pretty cool. A T60 power armor lithograph. Uh, that was 40 bucks, which seems a little high to me. Lithographs are always so expensive. I don't know. There is a dog meat plush and hoodie, and the plush dog meat is 20 bucks, and it looks pretty similar to the uh, the Loot Crate one, and I, re- I really love my little dog meat toy from Loot Crate. He uh, always sits in the back of the, of the room here. <laughs> I forgot that was from Loot Crate. I was thinking that was from Bethesda. Yeah. And there's a skateboard that has a T60 power armor design. If you are a person who skateboards and is just dying to to have power armor on your skateboard, I'm guessing that's a niche market, um, a bit people that skateboard and also really dig power armor. Yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I don't quite. Un- ah, I don't quite understand why they did that. Yeah, but whatever. It's like an odd choice, but it it's is. gonna make somebody real happy. <laughs> And the final thing is the best thing. 
the Nuka-Cola mini fridge, which is a sort of scale model of the Nuka-Cola machines, the Fallout 4 style ones. They hold a 12 pack of cans. It costs 150 bucks. They're on presale. Just under two feet tall by nine inches wide, and you can't place it flush against the wall because it needs to ventilate. But it looks really cool, and I kind of want one. I'm personally surprised you haven't gotten one already. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to be good. I'm definitely, definitely not in a position to be blowing my cash on Nuka-Cola fridges right now. But I thought about it. I will tell you that I thought about it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to be like, all right, I broke. I got one. <laughs> if I do get one, I'm just not going to tell you. I'm just, I'm just going to put it like um, Something isn't right. on the other side of the room where the camera won't show it so that uh, so that you'll never know. <laughs> and I'll never have to be embarrassed of my Nuka-Cola fridge. <laughs> you, you should not. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be embarrassed by that. Okay. Taking the You're rides. picking up some heavy rods there, buddy. Yeah, I'm in that, uh... The saw maze. Yeah, yeah. I forget the... I forget the combo to this thing. Me too. I haven't done that in quite a while. I think I just hit buttons till I get it right. Oh, well, look at that. That was really spiffy, Rick. Yeah, Nicely really... done. Yeah. <laughs> Save, because I know how this goes for me. Yeah. I remember... I remember having a lot of trouble in this area yeah. well that's it for our bethesda store update and we're gonna move on to the big news item for the week kind of a strange gonna, one it is a strange one and we're gonna open it up with this letter uh from joseph tau our moderator extraordinaire <laughs> um so hello rick and Shaleen. so on october 25th bethesda announced that they will no longer give out early copies of their new games to any media outlet or content creators and that they will receive codes up to one day before the game releases. This naturally has created a giant controversy as people are worried about buying games without people that they trust, either through media or content creators, to review a new game with enough time to still allow them to pre-order or purchase a game on day one. How do you feel about this? I know Bethesda has the right to do this, but should they is the big question. And he goes on to list some pros and cons. We're going to go over that later. Um, so you've heard about this, right, Rick? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was reading about it a little bit today, and I think we were, well, not that I think, we were definitely talking about it a little bit before before the show. Right. Um, I don't know. It's a weird one. definitely is weird. So is it? We'll just. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead, Rick. <laughs> Um, is it here on out, like, from this day forward, or...? That seems to be the case. Let me go ahead and just read their official statement from Bethesda. At Bethesda, this was by Gary Steinem, uh, who is the global content lead uh, via Bethesda.net, if you'd like to read it for yourself. At Bethesda, we value media reviews. We read them, we watch them, we try to learn from them when they offer critique, and we understand their value to our players. Earlier this year, we released Doom. We sent review copies to arrive the day before launch, which led to speculation about the quality of the game. Since then, Doom has emerged as a critical and commercial hit and is now one of the highest rated shooters for the past few years. With the upcoming launches of Skyrim Special Edition and Dishonored 2, we will continue our policy of sending media review copies one day before release. 
While we will continue to work with media, streamers, and YouTubers to support their coverage, both before and after release, we want everyone, including those in media, to experience our games at the same time. We also understand that some of you want to read reviews before you make your decision, and if that's the case, we encourage you to wait for your favorite reviewers to share their thoughts. And then it has the release dates for Skyrim Special Edition and Dishonored 2. Nice. But here's the thing, Rick. What's the thing? Here's the thing. What's the thing? I find this statement of we want everyone to experience our games at the same time to be a little disingenuous because my YouTube feed is full of streamers and Let's Players who have already had Skyrim Special Edition for weeks. Huh. Yeah. What is that about, I wonder? I I have no idea why they would say that when they had already released copies of Skyrim Special Edition. That's weird. I wonder if there's anyone in the chat room that can lend some clarity to that one. That's that's a weird one. You know, I would think it would just be from, you know, this day forward. Um, right. On the whole, though, I don't know if I mind this new policy so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was a lot of fun getting the review copies of Fallout, obviously, um, this past year. But, you know, there were a lot of people who spoiled everything. Sorry. Yes. So, I mean, there's that aspect of it that, I, you know, I get. I get. So, you know, who's to say that I am going to die? Uh, who's to say that, you know, what they're doing is warranted? Especially in this yeah. day and age. I don't know. It just seems to me like the fact that they didn't give this out to the media, but they did give it to YouTubers, is kind of... It makes it feel to me like it's about um, controlling the conversation here. Could be. Um, so is, did they just give Skyrim out to YouTubers and not... Uh... Right, the mainstream media didn't get it until until it launched. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does sound like they're they're really. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Ralrus, I'm probably I've probably mispronounced your handle. I'm sorry. <laughs> says they want controlled media exposure, so streamers that won't speak badly are fine. Critical reviewers not so desirable for them, and that's exactly what I'm I'm thinking here is going on. With the Skyrim special edition thing. It feels very corporate of Bethesda to do that sort of thing. It does. And uh, your death counter has started. Now. Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> I, I take that's it that, my favorite part of the of the stream chat room is uh, your death count. I take it that's Joseph again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was funny. <laughs> Well, I'm going to see if I can alleviate this death counter to... What was it last time? Do you remember? I don't remember. Four or five. Uh, maybe the chat room will remember. But this is going to really hurt the media's review traffic, you know, because when they're getting these Bethesda reviews out, you know, days or weeks after the fact, they're just not going to be getting that kind of... of you know, traffic on their website that they would have gotten if they'd had it available for day one. And, uh, <laughs> yes, your death count was four last time. All right. Let's see if I can keep it under four. Um, 
Where the frick did those things mm-hmm. go? Um, I more so am concerned with the implications of um, like media silence, I guess you could say. Right. You know, I, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I was about to say, like, controlling what gets said, essentially. Like, oh, Basically you know, a chilling effect? Yeah, like, we're only going to give it to the people that people. we know are going to say good things about it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of shady. Yeah, it makes business sense, but it does seem a little shady for sure. Um, Archin in chat says there have been a few studies that show that reviews are largely used to confirm biases while YouTube streamers actually encourage purchases. And uh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. I compiled a whole bunch of opinions um, when I was putting together the notes for this, uh, just so we could get kind of some different different viewpoints on what this means for for the future of Bethesda games and, you know, the industry, because Bethesda is a, a trendsetter among publishers and developers. Um, they're absolutely, um, absolutely, you know, people uh, take their lead from, from what people like Bethesda do. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, they are. Um, so I would not like to see this be a common practice mm. at all. So here's the statement that Game Informer made. Bethesda is presenting this decision as if it's for the benefit of everyone involved, but only one party stands to gain from it. It's not the critics who will face more pressure to rush through the game and get their reviews online. It's not consumers who will have less information about the game's quality or potential problems on launch day. Only Bethesda stands to benefit by gaining more control over what players see and hear about a game before it's on store shelves and selling copies. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have to agree with that. I, I mean, and it just the whole thing feels weird. Polygon's statement was actually a little uh, a little combative about it. They led the article with uh, this line. Bethesda is kneecapping reviews of its upcoming games this year, all but ensuring you won't find reviews before they hit shelves. And they went on to state that Bethesda must have decided that reviews do not help their bottom line. I, okay, I, I can see that, too. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> if people came out and said that Fallout 4 sucked, would would we have still bought it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't represent the general consumer when it comes to Bethesda games. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I think, I think this is starting kind of a, I mean, I, I don't know, this could be like a dark road kind of thing where... Mm-hmm. They only are getting the attention that they want to get. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it does have to do with their bottom line and, you know, giving it to YouTubers does lead to sales. And then in that case, it makes perfect business sense. And there's really, I would say, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're doing, I mean, it's just, it's so impossible to tell what their motives are. Uh, they yeah. have, and, you know, they've been acting a little corporate lately. Um you know, the content for Fallout 4 was a little little more relaxed, you know, or not as much as we would like to have seen. Um, they, You know what I mean? Like, there are just different things that mm-hmm. I think... I mean, there was some stuff that struck me as odd with Fallout 4 and the way that they did things from before. Um, 
I just hope it's not like a, a trend kind of thing. Like, like I hope they're not losing sight of what really makes Bethesda games Bethesda games. Right. Um, Giant Bomb's Jeff Gersman tweeted that he wanted to say, F this, pull all the previews, don't let them buy an ad on our site ever again. And I totally can see that because they're perfectly happy to post their previews, you know, all over all over these media websites, these um, highly controlled vertical slices of their game, you know, that that are not representative of what the final product is going to be. But then they won't give them review copies. Yeah. You know, that seems uh, that's not kind. That's not a, a good way to maintain a relationship. Yeah. Developer Brian Fargo of In Exile, uh, you know, working on Wasteland 2, he tweeted that his concern was that people would be rushing through games that deserve deep consideration in order to be able to get their reviews up more quickly. And that's also a very valid point. I think this is one of those we'll see moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to have a good idea of what's going to happen until it actually happens. Hasn't been empty long. Yes. So I think that's what it's going to boil down to. I have one final thing. This was the statement from Kotaku. They were a little more chill about the whole situation because they haven't been receiving, you know, anything from Bethesda for years um, since they leaked the uh, Boston information. Uh. <laughs> so, you know, it, it doesn't really affect them right. at all. But their statement was, uh, for many game publishers, YouTubers are what the so-called enthusiast press used to be. Fans just thrilled to have access and eager to color within the lines while raving about video games. It's an oversimplification, of course, and there are and have always been good, independent-minded people doing uncompromising work in both fields. But the trend toward favoring access to YouTubers has been obvious for years. I thought that was really a well-worded statement about the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, he's right. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think I like the decision. Um, I am very, very pleased that, you know, last year we were able to get our hands on a review copy. That was so rad. Oh, totally was. So, uh, yeah, we shall see what happens. Um, I, yeah, I, one. So Go ahead. I was going to say, do you tend to use review copies to purchase games? Uh, yes, sometimes. Not always, though. There are some games that I pull the trigger on. You know, I don't need I don't need anyone to tell me that this game is good. I trust that it is. And of course, anything that Bethesda Game Studios creates is going to be one of those games. Dishonored 2 is one of those games. Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of those games. I will buy that sight unseen and I will trust that it will be worth, you know, my time and money. Um, but with other games, I would often look to reviews uh, to help me make that decision. You know, I, I know which reviewers often have similar similar feelings to uh, to me on games. And if everybody's panning a game, then I probably am, am far less likely to try that out unless it goes on sale. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not very swayed by review copies. Uh, I tend to... I mean, I watch previews, but I don't ever watch, like... You know, I watch trailers, but I don't ever sit and watch someone play the game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Beforehand. 
So you don't really watch Let's Plays? No, I, I, I really don't. Um, I absolutely do. I have bought games before because I thought they looked really fun yeah, in a Let's that. Play. So I think this is going to be one it's of those. interesting. Yeah, I mean, because, again, I'll watch trailers and then I'll, like, look at the comments. I, I, I don't know. I'm pretty... I don't buy a lot of video games, and the video games that I do buy, I tend to do research on. Actually, one of the... The only reviews that I've ever had influence my, you know, buying habits are the Yahtzee reviews on uh, the Escapist website. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The only ones. That's funny. So, because they're very true. They're harsh, and they may be all negative, but I know that the negativities he points out are all valid. Right. Right. Train. So yeah. Well, I think this is. uh, I think this is probably going to be a trend that we see going forward. 2K didn't release any copies of Mafia Three ahead of time, and I think this is absolutely going to be a trend we're going to see. Bethesda kind of blew up the hype cycle. You know, I think a lot of games are doing shorter hype cycles uh, between announce and release since Bethesda did it with Fallout 4, and I think now they're going to change the way that publishers deal with the media. And I also wanted to say that I think this is going to be a huge deal for the YouTubers that did have it early, because their day one review is going to be tremendous for Skyrim Special Edition. You know, if people can't find that review on IGN or GameSpot or Polygon or Kotaku, you know, they're absolutely going to just search for, you know, Skyrim Special Edition review, and they'll be able to find these YouTubers. And it's going to really do, you know, great things for their hits. Yeah, yeah, could very well do that. Which, you know, YouTubers are probably excited about this news. Mm Mm-hmm. I just think that's uh, definitely something to to think about. It's very, it's going to be a huge deal for them. And I'll be interested to see going forward if they continue to give early copies to uh, the influencers that they that they do, you know, yeah. that they gave the Skyrim copies to. I'll be very interested to see that yeah. going forward. Well, we'll find out. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and move on from this topic, unless you had anything else to add. Nope, I don't have anything else. Me either. We do have a bit of a post-national inquirer for you today. Um... Uh, now that uh, Fallout 4's official content is done, we, we're caught back in this uh, endless cycle of rumors and speculation. <laughs> and this story was broken by a YouTuber named Lone Vault Wanderer. It appears that Bethesda has filed a trademark for a Fallout post-apocalyptic TV series. And could this be fake? Yes but it does not look as fake as previous trademark applications such as the Fallout New Orleans one. Hmm. This one had all the correct contact info for Bethesda, and uh, the info and names were not withheld. The lawyer listed on the application was someone that Bethesda has used before, and it looks really consistent with the Fallout 4 trademark application. Hmm. That's interesting. No way I could pick this. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about them producing a TV show. Mm. I don't think they will. I think they might not actually be planning to make it. They're just protecting their interests, in my opinion. Um, this even could be a business response to all of these crazy good fan films that have been out. 
recently for Fallout. If that's the case, ah. If that's the case, that's a little alarming. Um, with the with the news that we just had about them changing the way that they're dealing with press, because um, let's just say it is a response to the fan fiction stuff. Uh, I hate Protectrons. Does this mean that they're going to start cracking down, and you know, monetarily mm -hmm. with you know fan stuff? Like, I know? think that's unlikely. I really do. Then why would they, you know, if they're not going to produce a TV show, like, let's just say it is something that they're protecting their assets, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I find that a little alarming if that would be the case. I, So I do hope that something does come down the line, that this isn't just, you know, them protecting their pockets. It would be very, very cool to see a Fallout TV series. I would absolutely be interested in seeing that. But they have done previously... Uh, applications for a trademark for a Fallout TV show um, by Bethesda that has never been used before. So, oh, really? Yeah. Just to be aware, that is a something they've trademarked before that they've never used. I never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. Did we ever cover that? Nope, because it was in the past before we had a uh, podcast. In the past. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't deal with anything from the past. Yeah. Well, all right then. We'll see what happens with that. That's another one of those. We shall wait and see. Indeed, that seems to be the theme for our podcast today. I just wanted to say uh, in the chat room, Metal Hero Regulus says, "Wow, are Protectrons really beefy enough to, in this game to warrant missiles?" When I am level thirteen and running low on ammo, yes. <laughs> And Archon says that Bethesda seems a lot friendlier with fan-made stuff than Nintendo, and that's oh, absolutely true. Yes, yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. That uh, mm -hmm. Mario stomps on the proverbial heads of fan fiction stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to pick on Bethesda. It's just why is he not attacking me? He's a good He's guy. He's friendly. All right. He must be one of Vendertron's cousins. Let's see if he heals me. He's going to shock you with the uh, with his little defibrillators. Oh, I wasn't sure, like... <sighs> I can't use Yeah, them. I don't think they actually heal you. They try, but they, they just shock you. They try. Oh, now he's bad. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. I guess some of it got... Got me just a little worried. Ah, oh, come on, reload. It's understandable, but I I don't think that this will signal a huge change in how Bethesda deals with the fans. So, yeah, I I believe that Bethesda does care about the fans and. Yes, I do too. I just. Uh, I am interested nervous. to see where all this goes. Yes, me too. I just get a little nervous because you know Bethesda has always been like the the. I don't want to say the underdog, but like the the AAA game studio that actually cares about their fans. You know, I mean, Rockstar's yeah, like that, but um, you know what I'm trying to say. I think that they are getting a lot more Rockstar-like in their approach to everything. Well, yeah, but I still feel like Rockstar's Very interesting. a little bit more cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on! Fire! Anyway. I am getting destroyed. That's all I really had to say about this uh, TV show trademark application. If it did happen, 
what would you want it to be? What would you want in a Fallout series? Uh, man, I don't even know. Not The Walking Dead, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that show's annoying the crap out of me. That's why I keep listening to We're Alive. Which, <laughs> by the way, uh, I just got through the Shirley scene in We're Alive. Where Scratch... Oh, the Scratch and Shirley? Yes. And yeah, that's a that rough one. was far more worse to go through than episode that's one it. of season seven of The Walking Dead. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was a was, rough episode, though. Oh, oh goodness. The voice actor for Bert was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. I don't know. I would hope it would be in the vein of something whimsical and silly. and. I think it would have to be or it wouldn't be Fallout. You know, if it didn't have that whimsy to lighten the mood, like, it just wouldn't be Fallout. Like Ash versus the Evil Dead meets, you know, not Evil Dead stuff. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. What would you want? Mm, I would want something... Um, Definitely, I would think a live action thing. I wouldn't want an animated show oh, of, of Fallout. And I would like to see that zaniness. I would like to see sort of a a main quest, you know, that would take place over the series as the characters try to achieve a certain goal, but also small vignettes that would be like side quests, you know, when they would see run along, run across a vault and explore it. Or oh yeah, they have to have uh, they have to have B plots with yeah. their A plot. Absolutely. So, and I would want for there to be, uh, I would want it to be lore friendly, and I would want for it to be definitely whimsy and whimsical and zany. I would want as it, the fall series often is. I want it to be like a Amazon original because I'm dropping Netflix to get Amazon. So, yeah. So that's why I want it. I, I would want Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I have both, and I prefer Netflix. I watch a lot more Netflix than Amazon. The only reason we're going with Amazon is because of the Grand Tour. So, mm. Yep, that's it. The only reason. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I hope it happens. It'd be cool. But... Do you have any gameplay to talk about this week? Let me do the bumper. Bam. The gameplay bumper. <laughs> I added a little bit of minigun fire there, too. It was good. It was good. <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry, uh, you're you're seeing it. <clears throat> that removable. Nope. One of those weeks, huh? One of those weeks. I the only time I really got a chance to play video games was today, and I was playing some Battlefield One because that finally got working properly. Nice. Um, Have you flown about as a pigeon? You get to fly in the very like second level as a pigeon. Nice. That's the only part of Battlefield 1 that I'm at all interested in, it's being a pigeon. Very difficult. Pigeons of war. And it's about, like, five seconds long. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I, I guess Battlefield's not for me, then. It's pretty freaking cool. One out of five needs more pigeons. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I played a ton of Fallout this week. Um Lots of Fallout. I finished clearing the Raiders out of Nuka World on my Xbox character, and it was really hard. Like, I really struggled with those fights. Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed more allies. Yeah, they were tough. I, I thought there should have been a way to arm the traitors before you start the fight, or maybe bring the Minutemen with me or something. Yeah, I had, I had a really hard time with that. I was so happy to kill that stupid Raider, though, that, uh, what was his name, Shank? 
I hated that guy. The one that's the uh, that leads the raiders into the Commonwealth. Huh. I hated him so much. I was so glad to kill that guy. I don't know who that is. Um, well, you haven't played through the Raider storyline yet, have you? No, I have not. Ooh. Well, there's this guy that's, like, very creepy in, like, a trench coat and uh, and a dumb hat, you know. And uh, he's like, hey, boss, we'll need to talk to you later. Hmm. And then you talk to him later, and he helps you lead the Raiders into the Commonwealth. And uh, I hated his guts. I was so happy to kill that guy. He was such a sleazeball. I was really happy to kill. I I was really happy to kill the one chick you find her holotapes. She's like Mm, Dixie. Yeah. Yeah. When I killed Dixie, I actually felt kind of bad because she gave this like satisfied sigh and said, "Finally." Oh. And that kind of broke my heart, and I just oh, I felt like we should have been able to rehabilitate these raiders. Ah, I prefer Scorched Earth. Yeah, I am. Yeah, you do. <laughs> just you let's know, do some just some chat room shout outs real quick. Uh, Tim sure. Twig. Hi, Tim. How you doing? And uh, Bake Daddy 95 has joined us. He says, hello, everyone. Long time no talk. And Thunderhawk Chi says, hello. First time live. Welcome, Thunderhawk. We're glad to have you. Thunderhawk. That's a pretty cool name, huh? Pretty dope. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome, one and all. How do I get up? But I, I did find that a straight-up frontal assault works a lot better on these raider encampments than walking to the middle and trying to shoot your way out. That was bad plan. That was what I did first, and that was bad plan. But thank goodness I had paladin dance to hide behind. And it's, I still had to lower my difficulty, though. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah. I, I had it down to like I think normal from very hard, but I was I was a little embarrassed that I had to do that. I uh, felt very weak sauce because um, I was still basically spamming stim packs to try and get through it. I should have worn power armor. Um, <laughs> that was totally not a person. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh. I. Go ahead. So no. I finished doing that, and uh, it was a real struggle to carry away all the fun clothes uh, that I got off of all the raiders, for sure. The disciples were surprisingly easy to take out. I was I was really surprised that they were the easiest group that I dealt with. Oh, yeah. And I actually blew the textures right off of one of the ladies. Her body just <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was the weirdest thing, and I was not fast enough on the screenshot button to get a screenshot. I was very disappointed. But I shot this lady, or did I shoot her? Yeah, I did. I shot her, and her body, like, twisted in the air, and then her left leg disappeared, and uh, then her torso half disappeared, and it turned into, like, this sort of half-transparent thing you could see through um, the world. (laughs) Wow. It was really odd. But I just blew blew the textures right off of her. That's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty cool though. Kill. And Gage was the last guy to die. And I really didn't like killing Gage. As much as that Gage was not my favorite follower, he just had this like sad and hurt look on his face. 
um, because I had made best friends with him and gotten his perk first. And I wish there had been a way that we could have resolved that peaceably. I really do. And I tried to bury him in the big lake in the in front of the uh, Fizz Top Grill. Did he just float? But he just floated. He <laughs> 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 just floated. So I like drug him over to the little the little concession stand and stuffed his corpse in it. Oh my gosh. It <laughs> <laughs> was awful. That is very terrible. It was awful. I was sad that I couldn't take his eye patch when I looted him, though. Um, nice. I wanted to take his eye patch to remember him by. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not because it was a cool thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally just, you know, it's, to remember him. To remember him. <laughs> but Nuka World is very eerie now. It's very quiet with no one there. And I'm very disappointed that the traders have made no changes. They didn't change their clothes. They're they're still, you know, doing the same work they were doing before. I I thought they would maybe clean up the the severed heads and stuff, you know, and, and just like the blonde penguin in the chat room says, um, no, wrong. Thunderhawk Chi says, I really wish you could clean up the disciples place. It creeps me out. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, why can't you get rid of the severed heads after you clean them out? And, uh, yeah. yeah. So I was disappointed that the traders didn't change anything. I felt like my decision to do the good thing was sort of penalized by being less interesting. Uh, interesting as far as just how it played out? Yeah. Yeah, it's less interesting than if you do the raider quest. Yes, I agree. I absolutely agree. Oh, wow. What? Oh, wow. We are at Vault 88. Apparently so. Cool. You going to try and take that? Uh, maybe. Why not? May as well. May as well. Ah. Um. Sorry. So I'm on the way to the power plant to turn on the power at Nuka World, and I go on this bus, and I'm looting this bus, and I hear ghoul noises outside, you know, like, <sighs> and I'm like, oh, dang it, there's ghouls. And then I hear Dance just screaming at these ghouls, like, for the brotherhood! And I was like, you know what, he's got it. So I just stayed in the bus <laughs> while Dance fought the ghouls. Really? And then I walk out, and this one ghoul has him pinned. There's, like, all these dead ghouls all around him, and this one ghoul is getting him, and I just, like, shoot it with one shot. Oh, man, I'm such a bad friend in Fallout, man. I just treat my followers so badly. You gotta dance. <laughs> I cleared the power plant uh, with my pink baseball bat and uh, that the suit of X01 that was in there, and I was a total machine. It was fun. With the power on, I went and collected the rest of the Star Cores and got the Nuka-Cola Quantum Armor for my bay, Paladin Dance. And then I rode all the rides at Nuka World until I got sick. What? I, I you know, I'm prone to motion sickness in video games, in first-person oh. video games. Literally got sick. And I literally got sick, yeah. I rode the Ferris wheel, and I rode the, uh, the Nuka Galaxy, and... I rode the teacups, and <laughs> I got sick uh, on the Ferris wheel, and 
nice. then it had to be a plane. Real nice. And I, I just thought Nuka World in VR is 100% going to make people hurl. <laughs> there is no way Nuka World in VR does not end in vomit. Just no way. I thought I heard that the VR, the PlayStation VR was making people sick too. Yeah, I think all VR has that result sometimes. Tisk, tisk. I explored some of the other fun things that I hadn't found yet. The Dry Rock Gulch employee area, uh, the Red Rocket, the Gunner's Overpass. And then I went to check out the bottling plant locked door, and there was this amazing story in there. So after you get the power on in Nuka World, everybody go back to the bottling plant and go into the locked door on the bottom floor. It's a really cool piece of environmental storytelling through holotapes about Kate and Meacham and some other scientists that were working on Project Cobalt. It was just environmental storytelling at its best. You know, that that thing that Bethesda does about telling these stories from 200 years ago. Through the things and the bodies that you find and skeletons and holotapes, it was really good. Cool. I also went to the Grandchester Mystery Mansion. Have you been to that yet? Is this the creepy one? Yeah. No, I haven't been there yet. You've got to go. It's so fun. I saw somebody posting in the uh, in the Facebook group about the Grandchester Mystery Mansion. I was like, I haven't seen that. I want to see that. So I went to the Grandchester Mystery Mansion, and there's a Protectron at the door that re- requires a ticket before you can get in. Uh-huh. And uh, he only accepts money for a ticket. He won't accept bottle caps. And uh, I was like, dang it, what am I going to do? And I walk around and find that there are tickets on the floor beside the Protectrons. I'm like, great. But he's standing so close to the tickets that I can't pick one up. <laughs> So I had this, like, half-hour-long struggle to get a ticket to the Grandchester Mystery Mansion, trying to nudge this guy over, and I went to the other side and talked to him over there, trying to get him to step off of it, and then I, like, jumped over the counter and grabbed the ticket. And I finally got in, and there's this really great storytelling in there as well. There's a narrator that walks you through the attraction, you know, as sort of a haunted house, and there are placards on the walls. But then there's an, a modern story, you know, a modern 20 uh, in the now story. Oh, that guy's just going to blow you up. Uh, but there's a modern story happening simultaneously with um, this ex-gunner and this little girl. And it's very interesting. And the twist at the end just totally blew my mind. Just really freaked me out. I was so spooked. So everybody go and check out the Grandchester Mystery Mansion. It was very fun. And then I wanted to finish my last couple of achievements for Fallout 4. And one of them was for Beverage Year to create all of the all of the different recipes. I had all of them but two. And uh, I looked them up to see where, where I had missed them. And there was one that had glitched into the floor. Um at the Habologist's camp, but I managed to get it. There was a corner sticking out. <laughs> I got all of those, and I was crafting the sodas, and I needed some rum to craft one of the sodas. And I couldn't find rum anywhere. <laughs> it is a theme park. Walking around this place, like, why is the rum gone? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I got it. 
And earlier today, just before the podcast went live, I finished the Nuka Cade uh, 100,000 tickets achievement. And let me tell you, that was the worst couple of hours I've ever spent in a Fallout game. That was miserable. <laughs> that was just miserable. Ugh. I heard that they weren't that fun. Well, not that fun, by which they mean zero fun at all. No fun whatsoever. That sucks. Um, it's, it's fun to hang out in the Nuka Cade for about five minutes, but just grinding for those tickets was awful. Joseph Tao says the ticket grind was hell for that one achievement, and I totally agree. I finally found that the most efficient way for me to get tickets was to sort of scam the, the basketball machine. And I, I would hold the basketball, I would start it and hold the basketball and stand up there and just... I remapped crouch to one of the face buttons on my controller and just crouched over and over like dunking the basketball. And I could get about a thousand points a game doing that and it was just horrible. It was miserable. But I got it and my achievements are complete. Uh, they do a thing now on Xbox called Rare Achievements. If a lot of people have the achievement, then you get an extended achievement noise instead of just the little bleep bloop. Dramatic song. Diamond on the icon. That was fun. That's cool. So are you... So, do you have them all now? I have them all. I've cleared them out. And the first thing that I did was go in and download some mods. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So, I feel I feel a, a strange sense of finality with having finished the achievements for Xbox, and I know I'm probably going to get them again for PC, and I know that there's mods, and you know I'm not done playing playing this game, but I definitely feel a sense of completion with having done that. Nice. So nice. Anyway, that's my gameplay. More than I did. Do you want to do a challenge for next week? Let's do a challenge. Let's do a challenge. What do you got? I have a challenge. Kill a behemoth with a pipe wrench. And for kicks, let's do it naked. (laughs) Feeling a little uh, cruel today? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought we'd have fun punishing people and uh, and getting some fun naked pipe wrench screenshots. Um, Hmm. Extra points, too. If you can, uh, let's see here. How would we be able to do this? No, never mind. Yep. Do what Electroline says. Oh, by the way. So, I wanted to say this. I forgot to mention this last week. Um, when you're coming, when you first rescue Preston, you're coming from Lexington back to Sanctuary. Have you ever followed him? Yes. Okay, so then you knew that... You mean from Concord to Sanctuary? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So then you knew that... You know that bridge is historic? Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh-huh. I had no idea whatsoever. So, like, he's like, oh, this is the Minuteman statue, and this is Old North Bridge. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's no funny. Clue. So I guess I guess I'm just behind the times. Yeah, I always follow Preston. I always walk with them because I feel like they can't be trusted on their own to really? make it there alive. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I always follow them. And it's not that far. So, um, 
Regarding the challenge, Vendertron says butts. Pictures of all the butts. Oh, boy. And Archon says, are hats allowed? Yes, hats are definitely allowed. Of course, it's Shaleen. Why wouldn't they be allowed? <laughs> um, the blonde penguin says, it's Shaleen. Hats are expected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, we'll be disappointed if you're not wearing hats. Shaleen will be sorely disappointed if you're not wearing hats. Yes, there will be tears. Stupid Many dog. tears. Many, many tears. So, you can submit your challenge by using half, half tag, hashtag FOTR challenge. Is that right? I think that's right. Yes. It's been a while since i Thank you I've for mentioning it. that. I had forgotten about the hashtag, but that is how you submit your screenshots of this week's challenge. Yeah, because... Uh, because next week is not a companion episode. Yeah, so we won't be doing Let's Play, and we will be able to display your lovely naked hat-wearing screenshots for all to see. Yep. So, yeah. It'll mm -hmm. be good times. Good times had by all. Indeed, I'm looking forward to it. And it I should have submitted my basketball score to the pit board. Um, it was it was really high. I think I could have taken the pit board. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to go and... Uh, and submit my uh, basketball screenshot for next week. What does it take to get Shaleen on the pit board? Achievements. That's what it takes. <laughs> that's to be expected. Yeah. All right. So Got it. that's all I had for challenge and gameplay. By the way. Shell, go ahead. Real quick. So where the heck am I at? I'm at Hyde Park. And if you ever wanted a reason why I'm so scorched earth on Raiders, it's because of notes like this one and this mattress here. Looking forward to seeing you signed your neighbors. Oh, that's a little creepy. Yeah, so that's why I just go all scorched earth on raiders around here. I don't yeah. suffer. Some raiders. of these raiders are truly evil. Truly, truly evil. All raiders are evil. Mm-hmm. All it's of very, them. Yeah. This is for that. I do love how they humanize them so much in Fallout 4, though. They definitely do. All right, time. I'm looking forward to see where we're seeing where the series goes in terms of the storytelling. Greatly enjoy it. Anyways, you want to talk about the lore? Let's do that. All right. This week's lore is we are finishing off our companion series with the companions of Fallout 4. We're talking about Hancock and the DLC companions. And I have a little note for you guys here, just a little little proviso. The DLC companions pages on the wikis were not very good, and I didn't have time to play through all of their stories again. So lots of this is coming from memory. So if there are any errors, I apologize. You errors? No. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been known to happen once or twice before. I think maybe once. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's bound to happen once, at least. But I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. <laughs> but um, <laughs> let's talk about John Hancock. John Hancock was born John McDonough in Diamond City, the estranged brother of Diamond City's mayor, Mayor McDonough, and the sole survivor encounters Hancock in the town of Good Neighbor, where he serves as the self-appointed mayor. John lived in Diamond City, but cut all ties with his brother after Mayor McDonough evicted all ghouls from Diamond City banning them from ever living within the walls, and many innocent ghouls died. 
Horrified and angry, John left, winding up in Good Neighbor, a place where everyone was an outcast. Hancock was unhappy for a long time. He lived a low life, abusing Kims, disconnected from his fellow man. Around 2282, he found a single dose of a highly radioactive Kim, and he took it, knowing that it would make him a ghoul. He claims that the high was so worth it, but he also talks about the benefits of a ghoul's near immortality. He also admits a sort of a dark desire for self-transformation, having become sick of the person that he was, the person who allowed McDonough to kill those innocent ghouls, the person who stood by while the then leader of Good Neighbor, Vic, gunned down anyone he wanted. And one day he witnessed firsthand the death of a drifter at the hand of Vic's thugs. He loaded up on Kim's to try and forget and passed out. When he awoke, he found the clothes of revolutionary historical figure John Hancock. If anyone doesn't know, the real John Hancock was a prominent figure in the American Revolution. He was the president of the Second Continental Congress, the first and third governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and he signed the Declaration of Independence in a large and stylish way. <laughs> Which is why, you know, signatures are called Hancocks. Mm-hmm. Um, Fallout's John Hancock took these clothes for his own and was reborn as John Hancock the Ghoul. Hancock organized a militia, and they overthrew Vic and his corrupt henchmen. He named himself the Mayor of Good Neighbor, a town by the people, for the people, where anyone could be welcome. Just to interject, Archon in chat says, I wonder if it's the same Ken that Eddie Winter took, and that would be so interesting. That's, huh. I never thought of that. That's a really, really interesting point. He said it was an experimental chem, and he only found a single dose. So it could very well be the same chem. That would be interesting. Really and Thunderhawk wants to know if you are addicted to chems right now. I actually am. I haven't bothered to. And that's the weird thing. I don't even remember taking chems in this, except for like once or twice. You took chems last week or week before last. And... Uh, I don't have time to chat. Yeah, sure. We had we had a talk about how uh, how drugs are bad, but I don't remember that at all. Yeah, it's because you were high. Oh, shut up! Because <laughs> I was high, she says. Is this is this the pink? Yeah, yeah. This is the pink school. Yep. What's ticking? Hmm, that was weird. It's clickers, the ghoul clicker. No, it was like right? a rhythmic tick, 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 hmm. tick. I don't know what it was. Whatever. It's over now. Interesting. Headed. Or beheaded. <laughs> Vindertron says, Rick, this is an intervention. What? <laughs> me? This is an intervention. For me? Oh, I knew that you'd be the one getting the intervention. I mean, I guess I guess I can handle my kins better. I don't know. That's not fair. Hmm? It's not fair. Let's go back to John Hancock. Huh? Hancock meets the player near the entrance of Good Neighbor, where he kills a man named Finn for trying to scam you. You can kill Finn first, and he approves of that. Which I do do now. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love do. that. You can recruit Hancock after finishing Bobby No-Nose's quest, in which she is trying to rob Hancock's vault. This makes him think he's gotten soft and needs to spend a bit of time in the wastes. He's good to his friends, protective of the innocent, but vengeful and implacable towards his enemies. Hancock likes Kims, building buildings and settlements, helping people and sharing, punishing those who deserve it, general helpfulness, and public nudity. 
Actually, have you ever uh, been like changing your your outfits around Hancock? No, I never have. They'll talk about how distracting you are, and yeah. Huh? Is he a romantic? Pretty, option? pretty funny. Pretty funny. He is a romantic option. Oh. Yeah. Um, oh. Hancock dislikes theft, greed, cruelty towards innocent people. The Brotherhood of Steel and the Institute. And like I just said, Hancock is a romance option. When you reach full affinity, he grants the isodoped perk, which I, I love to say. I think that's pretty funny. Which makes the critical meter fill 20% faster if the player has at least 250 rads. Nice. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. That sounds like something I would never use. I think I would. I would use that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I have rads a lot of times. It's a lot of rads, though. It's like 600 before you die, right? I don't know. I usually I usually get to about 75% rads before I actually de-rad myself. Oh, really? I, I de-rad, like, right away. Yeah, I never, I never do. I don't bother. Oh, how different we are. I only, I only do the... The rat away. If I've uh, gotten into such a bad situation that I don't have enough health, you know. Get... I'm sorry. That's that's how I play. I uh, I can't I can't stand any rads. Actually, the rads <laughs> that I have right now are bugging me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you have barely any rads. I wow. Know. Just a little bit. Wow, that's yep. interesting. I don't like any red in that bar. They should have made it green. Mm -hmm. Then you would have liked it? I wouldn't have minded it so much. I've been like, that's fine. <laughs> um, mint hats are Hancock's favorite pen, but he'll give the player jet periodically. And on Irma's terminal in the memory den, if you hack her terminal, it contains an entry on Hancock that reads, If you thought he was handsome and dangerous now, you should have seen him before he turned ghoul. <laughs> I kind of like that. I feel like that's a pun. Uh-huh. I feel like it's a pun. A good pun. Yay, leveled up. Again. Twice already. Ah, uh, what? Do I have to do it again? No, I don't. Oh, shoot. By the way, that clicker mod is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty spooky. It's pretty cool. Have you spent much time with Hancock? Um, I think I got his affinity, actually. Mm-hmm. I like hanging out with him. Me too. I think he's a really fun, really fun companion to have. Yeah, he seemed to be combat effective as well. Mm -hmm. I cannot say the same for most of the other companions. Yeah. I like Hancock. Definitely a fan. Yeah, he's cool. Definitely cool. Fusion well, the next companion up on the docket is Ada. Ada Wong. Not Ada Wong. Not Ada Wong. Not Ada Wong is from Resident Evil, is that right? Yes. Tell us about Ada Wong, Rick. Um, I don't really know how I feel about her because she does good things and then does bad things. Yeah. I'm so confused on the story of Resident Evil. It's it's like a soap opera with zombies. <laughs> I think Ada Wong was actually voiced by Courtney Taylor, who did voice the female soul survivor. Uh, yeah. I think so. I may be wrong. But well, I seem to remember talking about that back in the day. 
Well, when we were in the the Fallout 4 hype cycle. I thought that was in Fallout. I was like, that's a really creepy ghoul sound. Yeah, that's the train because I, I live near the near the train tracks. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, what was I gonna say? So I don't really know how I feel about Ada Wong. However, Ada completely different. Yeah, absolutely, very different. Ada is a robot companion added by the Automatron DLC. She is a heavily customized Assaultron with some Sentrybot and Protectron parts. I love how she has the little tiny Protectron legs on that on that Assaultron body. <laughs> so funny. See her just walking around, her little legs going all fast. She's a little tank, so though. Um, she was created by Jackson, a caravanier with lots of technical know-how. The caravan specialized in mechanical repair and trade in the Commonwealth, and they eventually drew the eye of the mechanist. Uh, three attacks destroyed the caravan, leaving Ada as the only survivor. The sole survivor encounters her while under attack from the mechanist's robots and can join forces to help her defeat the mechanist. Nice. She expresses sorrow and regret that the members of her caravan, who she sees as her family, are dead. And she wishes that she would have been designed with medical skills so that she could have been able to help them. Which I found that pretty heartbreaking. The, the other thing I thought about that, too, is she's, like, one of the only... Her AI is not very, like, aware. Or it's it's actually super aware, actually. That's the thing I noticed. You know what I mean? What do you mean by that? Like, if I remember correctly, Ada was always questioning her feelings, if they were real or something. Yeah. 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 So, like, she was self-aware as far as she knew she wasn't real. We're like, yeah, Curie like that she was a robot. Yeah, whereas Curie doesn't really have that kind of, I don't know, didn't seem like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, Curie definitely approaches it more as a... Uh, Human. As a person, yeah. Interesting. How exciting. I just remember that stuck out to me when I was running around with Ada. It's Those time to go get healed. Where's there a doctor? Yeah. Oh, wait, there I have Diamond City. Never mind. Good deal. Um, like Dogmeat, Ada is a neutral companion. She neither approves nor disapproves of any of the player's actions, and hence does not have an affinity perk that the player can earn. She likes scrapping and junk, and compliments the player when the player is looting junk. And she's basically the only, only companion that approves of picking up junk. And I love that. Yeah. Everybody else is like, oh, I'd leave that behind if I were you. And like, well, if anybody could find a use for that. That's awesome. Yeah. I know I, that everyone complained about that whole thing where they're just like, why does F like junk is such a key component to everything in this game. Uh -huh. and everyone's like, why are you trying to survive, dude? Yeah. I remember yelling at McCready like, you see that outfit I made you? I made it out of junk and that bed you're sleeping in. <laughs> I made it out of junk like this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But Ada loves it when you pick up junk because she knows that it's useful and you can build good stuff with it. And she will actually hand you some random junk periodically. And that's pretty good. 
She is fully modifiable via the robot workbench. Some of her lines are science fiction references. She'll uh, she'll say resistance is futile, <laughs> which of course references Star Trek's The Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, Quietel in the chat says that the Far Harbor guy is cool with junk too. I didn't remember that. That's that's cool. I, I never good really. Deal. I don't Longfellow. think I ever pout around with him. Really? He's good. You should hang out with Longfellow. Ada's name is likely a reference to real-world scientist and mathematician Ada Lovelace, who was known for her work on Babbage's analytical engine, one of the earliest computers. She wrote the first algorithm to be carried out by the machine and is widely considered the first computer program. Awesome. That's a really nice homage. I loved it, yeah. And that's not confirmed, but it's got to be, right? Like, it's got to be. Of course. I mean, why wouldn't it be? Mm-hmm. Right. And there's another robot who is, um, I'm going off book here. This is Lady Loveless, I think. The name of one of the robots in the robot race at the racetrack. Oh, yeah. Who I would assume is also an Ada Loveless reference. <laughs> you willing to do some work? That means you killed a computer tech fan. Mm-hmm. At the, maybe some writer was like, oh, I love Ada Lovelace. <laughs> I'm gonna name my robot after her, and then there comes a lone like, wanderer. <laughs> so this guy is like a historian. He's like, oh yeah, Ada Lovelace was a legend. <laughs> her legacy will live on through the machines I built. Then all of a sudden, silenced rifle yeah. right through the noggin. That's so funny. And in walks the lone wanderer. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> I like Ada. I liked hanging out with Ada through the Mechanist DLC, but I didn't keep her for much longer than it took me to play Mechanist. Um, Why not? Because she doesn't have that much interesting commentary on what's going on. Ah, that's can't it. help. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really have her. Uh, I didn't use any, any, any. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, compan- I didn't use any robots for companions. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah, I made one, and I gave him the, like, the beep-boops noises, and I pretended he was Eddie. <laughs> yeah. I named him R2-D2, and I gave him a little pirate hook. I could just, it's like you're, you're Wilson. Mm-hmm, Eddie! pretty much. Don't go, Eddie! Mm-hmm. That's funny. But yeah, I gave him a, I gave him a little robo-brain head, and uh, a little... Mr. Handy floating, you know, floating body. It was fun. <laughs> I liked building the robots. I built a Vendertron for my settlement. And I wanted him to run the store, but he wouldn't run the store. This is an emergency broadcast. <laughs> so that was a bummer. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, can you assign robots two jobs? Help. I don't think you can. You're supposed to be able to, uh, anyone with hands. <laughs> as long as your robot has hands, you should be able to assign them. And uh, I believe I remember reading that you could yes, have uh, Vendertron, um, you could assign them to a store. And I wanted to make Vendertron the vendor. But he wouldn't do it, so I think he's a, I think he's a prospector now. Or, um, no, uh, <laughs> what's it called where they, they carry the stuff between your, between your settlements? What's that called? With the Brahmin? Provisioner? Provisioner, thank you, Rick. I think I have Vendertron as a provisioner. <laughs> it's just 
A prospector. Yeah, found gold. It's gold in them there hills. It's gold in them there circuits. Maybe I meant a prospector like um, Easy Pete. Easy Pete. Mm -hmm. That's what I said. There's gold in them there circuits. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Moving right along. This robot talk. Old Longfellow. The chat room's talking about Old Longfellow. Um, Quietel says, I like Longfellow. He's a curmudgeon with a heart of gold. Thunderhawk says, Longfellow reminds me of Rooster Cogburn from True Grit. Huh. I can see that. I can see that. Really? Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. All right. Sure. Oh. Archon said they fixed it so that robots can be vendors now. So I'm going to have to go try it again. Old Longfellow. He's a legendary hunter on the island of Far Harbor. He's one of a few people who is able to safely navigate the dangers of the fog. He's about 70 years old, making him one of the oldest non-ghoul companions in the series. Back when Old Longfellow was a young Longfellow, he was in love with a young woman named Hannah. They were very happy, and they made plans for a future together. One day they went to meet at their customary spot, but were attacked by the children of Adam. Longfellow was gravely wounded, and Hannah was kidnapped. Longfellow dragged himself to town where he received medical attention. It took him two months to recover from his wounds. He went to the children of Adam to rescue Hannah, but she had been brainwashed and had become devoted child of Adam herself. Longfellow mourned the loss of his beloved Hannah, but the hardest blow came later, when Hannah's exposure to radiation caused her to miscarry Longfellow's child. Mm. Hannah was later killed by trappers. He would regret the loss of his child and heir to the end of his days, and he never loved another woman again. That's, That's a sad story. It's a really sad story. A really sad story. But it explains a lot about Longfellow himself. Yeah, it does. Um, As a result of this experience, Longfellow harbors a lifelong hatred of the children of Adam. He grew embittered and cynical. As he aged, old Longfellow grew more and more reliant on alcohol. The sole survivor can find Longfellow at the last plank bar in Far Harbor and can help as a guide through the foggy island. After the initial quest, Longfellow becomes available as a companion, and his cabin is a settlement. Um, he seems to make this... Go ahead. No, no. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, I find it funny that, you know, his idea of traversing the fog is walking up the hill following the road. Uh-huh. That always kind of made me laugh. Where it's like, yeah. you're die out there. And it's like, <laughs> I'll be all right. Well, what are the directions? Well, you just follow the road up to the place. Can't miss it. That's it? <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. Like, I don't know. That is funny. That always kind of bugged me a little bit. It was like... Because we all thought that fog was going to be, like, terrifying. Yeah. I thought that the fog was going to be what we wanted the glowing sea to be. You know, because we expected the glowing sea to be this insane, crazy hard to survive in, you know, so much radiation that we wouldn't be able to exist there for just a couple seconds without a radiation suit or power armor. Yeah. But then you can actually go there in your summer shorts and have a picnic, as it so happens. As we have found out. Take screenshots. Selfies. Yeah. Selfies. 
selfies with death claws. You can do all those things in the glowing sea. <laughs> and I cool. felt like the fog would be, you know, we we had complained about that how the the glowing sea didn't live up to the terror that we wanted it to be. And yeah. I thought that the fog was going to make up for that, but it, it didn't. It was even less. It was more underwhelming than the glowing sequence. Yeah, but at the same time, Far Harbor still was terrifying in itself. Mm-hmm. I That's true. I'm sorry for your loss. So. My name is yeah. Hey, speaking of Ada. Here we There's go. Ada. Who's Jackson? Jackson. So cute. I'm just skipping through all the... Skipping through all the dialogue. Yeah. It's an adorable little robot. <laughs> the, um... The creatures of Far Harbor are super scary. Yeah. I haven't come up across those, like, sandworms in uh, Nuka World, though. Yeah, they're they're not so tough. No? No, I just... Actually, just before the podcast, I fought a ton of them. Because there's an achievement for defeating Nuka World creatures while you're under the influence of the Nuka-Cola mixed colas. Oh, really? Yeah. So I loaded an old save because I already cleared everything. And uh, I loaded an old save and crafted a bunch of new colas and uh, went to Dry Rock Gulch and just shot those things until my achievement popped. Nice. And they're not so tough. They're really not. No. Though they look terrifying. And I do not know why I went back to Vault 111. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know why I fast traveled there. Oh, look, there's fog. Oh, look at that. We got fog, we've got a companion. Look at all this. And a bloody... So appropriate. My fast travel seems to be working well enough today. That's good. Back to Longfellow, though. Longfellow seems to make the switch from surly cur- curmudgeon to kindly grandfather with very sudden and seemingly with no cause. Because he goes from from being this curmudgeon to all of a sudden he's like, hey, you know, you want to come back to my cabin? We'll have some drinks. Oh, Hmm. oh, you want to have some other people living at my cabin and you want to build? That's fine. That's that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. That is true. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I don't like it because in the beginning, he's just this very, very curmudgeonly, very kind of gruff person. And I feel like you should have to earn that trust, you know? Oh, definitely. Definitely. But uh, Long? Go ahead. I was going to say, the only thing I ever used Longfellow for was just, uh, you know, him taking me up to uh, Arcadia. That initial quest. Yeah. I have stayed with Longfellow long enough to get his perk, and he's fun to hang around with, especially on the island. I think it's good to have Nick with you for the story whenever you're doing a story mission in Far Harbor, but then switch to Longfellow anytime that you're doing, you know, mapping or just just searching for things, hunting things. It's good to have Longfellow. Yeah, I agree. He likes alcohol use and helping others, in particular helping the people of Far Harbor. Longfellow hates the children of Adam, and he hates when you tell the Brotherhood of Steel or the Railroad about Dima and Acadia. Huh. To achieve full affinity with Longfellow, you must help him track and kill the Shipbreaker, a legendary fog crawler who has eluded him for years. 
Longfellow is glad to rid the world of this monster, but he also expresses regret that the beast will no longer be there to keep him on his toes. Longfellow will tell the player his story and say that if he'd had a child, he'd hope that they were like the sole survivor. He feels pleased and honored that he can pass his years of wisdom and experience onto the player via the Hunter's Wisdom perk, which reduces damage and energy resistance of animals and sea creatures by 25%. Pretty cool. It's a pretty good perk. The Fallout Shelter version of Longfellow carries a lever-action rifle named Henrietta, which I think is cute. Instead of a Henry rifle, it's a Henrietta rifle. <laughs> that is cute. And my favorite thing about Longfellow is that sometimes when you're just standing around in a safe area, he'll start singing Irish songs. <laughs> Molly oh, yeah, Malone or some other things. It's very that's fun. He does. Every time I, you know, every once in a while I visit him back on his island and he's singing, uh, I think one of them's Drunken Sailor. Mm-hmm. I like that. Song. Yeah. It sounds a bit like that. I'm not sure if that is the song, but it sounds quite like it. Yeah, I don't remember which one it is. But I Longfellow's... Thought, go ahead. I was going to say, I liked going back and hearing his little shanties. Yeah. Shanties are the best. That was also my favorite part of uh, Assassin's Creed Pirates. Yes. Assassin's Creed yeah. Pirates. I liked that game. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Assassin's Creed The Wind Waker. <laughs> oh, my it was very fun to uh, to gather up the sea shanties and command your pirates to sing them. Yeah, that was good. Longfellow's name is likely referencing Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a poet who was born in Maine. The real Longfellow looks a bit like uh, his fallout namesake yes. and also had a wife who suffered a miscarriage. Hmm. Yeah. Was it? So, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of uh, if it was like, did she suffer that before or after she was captured? After. Yeah. Was it? It was even... Longfellow's child, though. Oh, it was. Yeah, it, it was, was a, Longfellow's child. It was a Saul and Lizzie thing, only. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. We're on the same page now. Mm-hmm. So that was it for Longfellow. Unless you had anything else to say. No, um, I feel like I should go back and give him a shot, and uh, I wish I should I should find a blunderbuss mod because I feel like that'd be very fitting for him. That would be cool. That would be very cool. But yeah, I don't have anything for him. I never really used him. Um, was that the sink that had the hands in it? Uh. Go back. Go back. And it says, "Yeah, wash your hands. Don't forget to wash your hands, guys." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was trying to turn it on, but it didn't work. Yeah, thought that was My pretty way. funny. So let's talk about the final Fallout 4 companion, Porter Gage. <laughs> the last and maybe the least? Yeah, they, they didn't save the best for last in this case. Or we didn't, rather. No way. Porter Gage was raised in a small farming community, and as a child, he watched his parents be subjugated by raiders. Gage was disgusted by what he saw as weakness in his parents, giving in without a fight. And the next time their farm was raided, he ran away. Little more than a child, Gage took odd jobs to survive, eventually turning to caravan and mercenary work. No matter where he went, he saw people like his parents. People trying to earn an honest living, being dominated by raiders over and over again. 
He realized that he'd rather be a wolf than a sheep, and the next time his settlement was raided, a 16-year-old Gage joined the gang. The gang was large and strong, but Gage felt that they made a lot of costly mistakes. He went to the boss, Connor, who called himself the Harvester, Hmm. a name Gage thought ridiculous, and made suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds pretty bold, actually. He was quite surprised when Connor not only listened to his advice, he began coming to him for thoughts on his plans. After about a year, they resolved to make peace with a rival gang. Young and naive, Gage was proud to be trusted with the role of negotiator. After about an hour of work, the rival gang began to come around. There would be an alliance. But suddenly, Gage heard gunfire. He thought something had gone wrong, but he knew that Connor would bail him out. It was, um, why is the screen blank, Rick? You having some some issues? It's loading. Okay. (laughs) There we go. There. Ah. Fog. Fog. Much fog. Well, it is bastard. Let's just walk into the distance. Carrying it Into the fog. There we go. Let's go. It's not creepy at all. The axe in one hand. Power armor it was other. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't long before Gage realized that Connor not only wasn't coming for him, he'd set Gage up. Connor never intended to make peace with this rival gang. He was only using Gage's negotiation as a distraction for the attack he'd planned. Having gained all the knowledge he could from the young man, Connor expected Gage to die in the crossfire, and he'd be rid of a man he knew could be his rival for the leadership of the gang. Gage survived and left, knowing that he didn't have the strength to exact vengeance. He vowed never to trust anyone again and moved from gang to gang, watching them destroy themselves with hubris, chem use, and laziness, always leaving before they self-destructed. Gage became Coulter's second-in-command at Nuka World, but soon became disenfranchised with Coulter's laziness. They were supposed to take over the park, but Coulter grew comfortable and only cared about the gauntlet and the arena fights. Sounds like a raider. It does. It really does. So Gage plotted with the leaders of the gangs to overthrow Coulter, helping the sole survivor defeat the overboss and take his job. When asked why he didn't take a leadership role for himself, Gage replies that he's more comfortable as a behind-the-scenes power, and also thinks that his favor with Coulter wouldn't recommend him to the other gang leaders. Gage likes lockpicking, crafting, cruelty and dominance, raider-like traits. He doesn't like kindness, mercy, or generosity. Gage is a romance option, but you only have one chance. You know, the rest of the companions, if you fail your speech check, you can come back later and they're like, oh, hey, you know, and they give you another chance to to say, hey, can we be more than friends? Not Gage. You have one chance. One chance at true love? Uh Uh-huh. Gage wears an eye patch, but the eye underneath is perfectly healthy. You can see it at the right angles. You can also see it if you equip eyewear on Gage, but then you risk losing the eye patch forever. His armor and gear are good, and he's very strong in combat. He doesn't like it when the player uses chems or alcohol, presumably because of all these gangs that he's seen, you know, self-destructing through all all this chem use. And if you turn against the gangs of Nuka World, Gage will become hostile, and if you bury him in the pond, he will float. 
Um, I don't even remember killing Gage in that fight. Yeah. I really don't. He was just a... I guess he was just a nobody to me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember that at all. I just remember killing everyone. I don't remember Gage. I thought he had ran away. But yeah, he, he doesn't run away. He'll fight you. Gotcha. I I think Gage looks cool, and I like Gage's voice, but I wish Gage was interesting. So he's not at all interesting? Not really. Not to me. Not to me. Gotcha. I don't know. Gotcha. Anyway, that's all I had for Gage. Sugar Bombs paint. I forgot about the Sugar Bombs paint job. Oh, it oh, doesn't cost cool. anything. Well, that's... Oh, that is the best. It has the boy on the Sugar Bombs cereal box. Yeah, Very cool. I can only do the T-51, though. That's okay. Very, very cool. I'll finish it up. Oh, yeah. Sugar Bombs paint job. So that's all with Gage. Um, I haven't used him yet. There's a lot of stuff I still need to do in this game. Mm-hmm. It's funny how much time we've put in, and there's still so much that we haven't experienced, you know? Oh, yeah. It's it's insane. Absolutely insane. Um, yeah. I was just walking it down. Uh, let's see. Where was I at? Let me pull up my map. Uh, oh, yeah, down here. Down towards Milton General, Shaw High School. Mm-hmm. I just forgot how much I haven't... How, how much time I haven't spent down in that area. Yeah. Um, I know there's not much down there, but I haven't spent a lot of time down there. I really haven't. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should. And there's always more things you can find, even if it's not official locations. Right. You can find those little bits of environmental storytelling that we always talk about. Right, yeah. So I think I'm going to head down there now. Do it. Doing it. <laughs> While you're doing that, do you have anything else to say about any of our companions? No, these companions I haven't really used. Uh, yeah. I haven't used at all. Um, I do have one more thing to say that we are at 8.30 and we can't go past two hours only because it does not export well to YouTube that way. So just to keep that in mind. Right. Um, yes. Stupid. Keeping it in mind. Stupid Twitch. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm really glad that we finished off Companion Month like this. I feel like it was a, a good series, and I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Let's talk about our Weapon of the Week. I just can't believe we got through all of the Companions for the games. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It was, it was cool. I feel like we achieved something here. Whoa, what's this? Now, see, I haven't seen this before. Hmm. Nice little... I'm not sure where this is. Is this... I think, is this near where there are robots? Is this uh, near the dancing robot dancing area? Dancing robot? I have never I'm seen a dancing sure. robot. Uh, this I'm, may not be the dancing robot area. The village uh, people robots? That's what I was thinking of. Uh, I'm down near Shaw High School. So. Anyway. Vault 88 area, actually. Our weapon of the week is the Tesla cannon. Last week we talked about the Tesla rifle and the Tesla cannon came up. So I thought let's talk about the Tesla cannon this week. The Tesla cannon is a shoulder mounted energy weapon appearing in Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. Developed before the Great War, the Tesla cannon was meant to serve as a portable anti-tank weapon. The weapon was based on the work of scientist Nikola Tesla. It shoots a blast of energy that damages an enemy and an electric shock that lowers health over time. 
The Fallout 3 Tesla Cannon is found in the Broken Steel add-on, and the New Vegas versions, including the Tesla-beaten prototype and Elijah's jury-rigged Tesla Cannon, fire orange bursts instead of blue. A Tesla Cannon was planned for Fallout 2, which would have been assembled from five parts that the player collected across the wasteland, but this wasn't included in the final game. Nikola Tesla actually did design an energy weapon that was called a Teleforce. Um, but yeah, a it was never fully funded. Teleforce. What he called it. God, it was a strange dude. He really was. Has many adherents to this day. <laughs> Good old Nikola go. Tesla. And that's all I had for the, the Tesla cannon. Oh. I like the Tesla cannon in Fallout 3. I remember taking it to the ship um, for Mothership Zeta and just laying waste to all the little robots in the robot room. Yeah. It was fun. Greatly uh, fun. I, um... Every time it seemed like I would go down to... So I would always find it um, at the crashed vertebrate. Mm-hmm down south and I would just get obliterated trying to get down there mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah I do so, that southern area is, is tough yeah but I mean um, when I would get it you know it would be nice ah more power armor do I need just anything? what you needed Let's see left arm right leg do I need it left arm right leg there's so much power armor in this game so much power armor. I guess because it's the only thing that really degrades no, over time. Yeah, but you can. Just I've got there. like fifty suits of XO one in my uh, in my fizz top grill at Nuka World. I just kept finding it. Really? Yeah, so much XO one. I've got probably seven suits of XO one in the fizz top grill. They're in the way. I keep banging my knee when I walk by. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I I don't have that. I definitely don't have that much power armor or mm. XO one in particular. This queen is tough. That's well, let's move on. That's all I had on on our weapon of the week. Awesome. We've got some emails. This one comes from Matt. Matt writes, "Hello, Rick and Shaleen. I posted on the Facebook group about this. You've talked about it in one form or another, but not specifically." I've listened to Ebb to the show since you first aired. I rarely get to listen live, but nearly every evening is devoted to the Quest Gaming Network in some degree. My main point is contacting you about a potential discussion topic. I'm a social studies teacher, and I frequently look at the world and my own hobbies slash interests through that lens. It drives me insane at times. I've had discussions with my students about government structures in video games. In college, I wrote a paper about the geographical story completely fictional worlds can tell us. Halo Reach was my source material, but that's for another podcast. I'm a huge science fiction fan that ranges across literature, TV, movies, and art. In every genre of science fiction, I end up considering how science fiction reflects our society. So to gear the topic towards Fallout, in what way does the series reflect our own society? The most obvious point from Fallout 4 is the various factions, not including the DLC material for length, and their interpretations of ghouls, super mutants, and synths, aka human. The Brotherhood, no questions, kill them all. The Institute, we humans are their creators, directly or indirectly, and must control them by whatever means. 
the Underground Railroad, we accept them if they meet our standards, i.e. erase their memories and personalities to protect them, and the Minutemen, mostly accepting of everyone, but look towards a progression of society. These mentalities slash creeds are present in our own society through government, policies, politics, and historical events. You can pick any minority group and apply them to almost any of these factions' mentalities. Of course, that is just scratching the surface of the material present in the game and series. Do you think science fiction, Fallout 4 specifically, is able to reflect today's current society despite it being so far removed? What other ways does the concept apply? Thanks for the consideration. Wow, deep, deep question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really deep. I don't know, he covered it pretty well. I also felt like he kind of answered his own question. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and expound on or expand upon it, I guess. Well, I am going to tackle one particular part of this email. He says that the Underground Railroad will accept them if they meet our standards, i.e. erase their memories and personalities to protect them. That is something that has driven me nuts about the railroad since the beginning, since the very beginning. Oh, yeah? Yes. And I really, I hate, I hate it. I hate the synth mind wipe. I hate it. I think that the synth should be able to be synths. You know, they shouldn't, it's, it's basically, they rescue the synths, but then they tell them what you are isn't good enough. You need to be like us, basically. And... I don't know. I feel like it really is insulting to say that they that they wouldn't be able to protect themselves, that they wouldn't be able to keep quiet about the fact that they were synths, you know, unless they had a mind wipe. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, um... I hate that. It's very it's I'm I can't think of the word right now, but it's it's really I don't it's not good. It's not good. It's not how you treat people. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I didn't. When I play these games, I'm just like, I just accept the world as it is. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know why it doesn't. It never really phased me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe it should. I don't know. <laughs> but it never, never phased me on that end. I need some ammo for this gun. But yeah. yeah. I don't know, it never fazed me. I, I just assumed that they were doing it for their own protection. And I figured it was just the quirk that you had to... Like, every faction had its bad part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe, maybe deep down in my brain, I, you know, I just feel like synths are robots, maybe. Maybe that's why it never mm-hmm. fazed me, because I'm just like, ah, it's a robot. Or yeah. maybe I'm just like... Yeah. Oh, it's a game. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, Archon says they don't make the wine the the wind mipe. They don't make the mind wipe mandatory, do they? No, they don't. It's not mandatory, but it is highly encouraged um, among the sins. Yeah, definitely. That they rescue. Highly encouraged, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And Vendertron says he agrees with you. He says, yeah, I'm the same, Rick. Ah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Didn't phase me too, too much. I don't know you. But yeah, very in-depth email. I think it's very interesting to to use something like a game, any piece of fiction, and use it as a lens through which you can view the world that we live in today. And 
I, I love that Matt has done this and I love that he's given us the reason to think about it. And I hope that our listeners have a think about it too. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I mean, that's all, that's all mm-hmm. most art is anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all, you know, media is, I mean, TV and, uh, all that stuff is just a lens. Mm-hmm. Charge. Why are there so many scavengers around here? This seems like an odd place for there to be so many scavengers. Well, last time, the last three times I was here, it was three different, three different uh, things. It was like raiders, and then it was... Mm-hmm. Uh, what else was it? Oh, super mutants and now scavs. Interesting. Well, they're dead now. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Oh. Would you like to move on to our next email, or do you have any other, any other commentary on that? Nope. I've got nothing else. Okay. Hey, Rick and Shaleen. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, for almost a year at this point. Um, I have enjoyed every minute of it. I never get to make it to the chat because I work Friday nights, but enjoy listening every week when I can. I'm a student studying environmental science outside of Baltimore, and I'm fascinated with alternative energy, especially nuclear power. I've written countless research papers on nuclear energy and its effects and why it could be a great source of energy for the future. It's almost no wonder I got into Fallout and all the lore and the world and everything it has to offer. I started playing New Vegas first, and then Fallout 4, and then Fallout 3, which was awesome. To be able to say I've been pretty much everywhere I went in the game. And I recently purchased Fallout 1 and 2 on Steam. Can't wait to start playing them too. My question for you both is, what is the place you have visited in real life and the Fallout world that you thought was really cool? Or if you haven't been to one, what place would you most want to go and see how it is before the bombs fell? Thanks for taking the time and stay great, Sam. Um, for me it was DC. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very surreal to go there and then like, oh, I've been here before, but you know, yes, it was a lot more destroyed. That's pretty much kind of you know my whole thing. I mean, it was it was Washington D.C. Same for me. Yeah, I went to D.C. in high school. I was, I think, seventeen when I went to D.C. I hadn't played any Fallout yet, Um, and I remember, I remember, you know, I, I visited all the all the tourist spots, you know, and a lot of cool things. I, uh, was there for a, a school thing and I got to talk to some of the New Mexico congressmen and, and women and, uh, they were on their way to meetings and I got to ride in the little, the little subway between the house and the Senate. And that was fun. And then, uh, when I played fallout years later, I rode a similar subway <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and remember thinking this is this is that little subway like this is it. <laughs> uh, I believe that was in Broken Steel that they that they added that. Oh right, and, the, the arm thing. Yeah, and I remember um, walking out to the Lincoln Memorial in Fallout and remembering what it looked like when I had been there a couple of years before and. Yeah, it was really cool. It was very, very cool. Yeah. And of course, I live out here in in the rural West, and much of my surroundings, the the little towns that I drive through every day, 
going to work um, look really similar to Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> really similar. <laughs> Strikingly similar. I should take some pictures sometime and post them for you guys to see. You should. Uh, some of our abandoned, like, empty gas stations and stuff. It absolutely looks like something where you could just walk in there and find some stim packs and a Nuka Cola, maybe stomp a rad roach. So. <laughs> stomp a rad roach. Yeah. Awesome. So that's yeah. it for me. Yeah, I, I remember, I think you've said a few times that, you know, out that way looks very desolate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so hope that answers. Yeah, if the apocalypse uh, hit, my surroundings wouldn't change that much. <laughs> you wouldn't even know. Everyone would be freaking out when you get home and you'd be like, what, guys? What's, what's the problem? <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope that answers your question well. And yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's it. That's all we've got. Oh, is that the show? That's the show. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Why don't you take us take us out, Shaleen? Okay. I do have a little, a little thing to mention before we start with our, our outro. For next week's show, we're going to be talking about a year of Fallout 4, uh, because it will be almost a year next week that Fallout 4 has been out. And we'd like to talk about, you know, how is the game different now than it was when it launched? And what are things that surprised us? What are things that um, that disappointed us? You know, a, a year of Fallout 4. And we'd like you to send your thoughts on that uh, if you have anything you'd like to share on the show for next week. Awesome. Okay. All right. That's our show. Uh, take us out. So you can tweet at us on Twitter at Fallout OTR. Rick is at Rick McVick, and I am at Shaleen L. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fallout OTR. And we have a Facebook group you can join. It's been very active lately. Facebook.com slash groups slash Fallout OTR. You can send your emails to falloutotr at gmail.com. Please do. We love reading your emails. Like this video if you're watching the YouTube version and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more. YouTube.com slash Quest Gaming Network. You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And we ask that you please leave us a, a five-star review if you like what we're doing. And we like to shout out the people who leave us five-star reviews. This week we've got Non Vernacular from the UK. McFinglefangle, Mason Chris123, and Kevin IC. We record the show live on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, twitch.tv slash Network, And you can check out other great QGN shows that stream live to Twitch. If you picked up Skyrim Special Edition recently, you might want to check out Elder Scrolls Off the Record and Classic Elder Scrolls. They're going to be talking about lots of Skyrim in the days to come. There's also Dragon Age Off the Record and QG D&D. And Dancing with Daggers will come on later this evening. I believe they come on at 10.30 right here on this Twitch channel. And uh, Ivarwin is doing some late, late streams. Uh, I'm not sure what time, but keep an eye out if you're up late. And thank you so much for listening to our show. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, guys, thank you very much for joining us. And what is your last word this evening, Shuleen? Four. War never changes. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>